The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. And this is the practice of being seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is episode three. We are going to be diving in today to the divine feminine. This is a subject that I have always been really curious about. And Marisa, it's also a subject that you have spent a long time diving into yourself. I have, and it's going to be really exciting to bring some of these insights out of the shadows and into the light today. Yeah. Um, so can we start by just diving into what is the divine feminine? Besides that's a, the fact that that's a gigantic question, yes, I'll do my best. Um, and that's probably one of the exciting things about it is that in so many ways, the divine feminine becomes something of what you want it, or should I say her, to be. Because the divine feminine is woven into every element of life because the divine feminine is contained within each individual. And to say that is to also say that the sacred masculine is contained within each individual. So this isn't really a question of are you female or are you male? Not at all. Not at all. This is... This is the stuff of energy and spirit, and it's the stuff of nature. And when I say that, I mean your internal nature in that no one is all one thing or all another. We are all a mix of different elements, and some of those may be what you would call more feminine. They are more about being receptive, sensitive, holding, and you know, often equated with emotion and feeling. And then there's the masculine side, which all of us have too. That's about moving forth, getting things done and manifesting things in our lives. So it's kind of, it's the difference between what I like to call holding and doing or fixing. Absolutely. And the fact that we need both of those energies and we all contain both of those energies. We may express one more than the other, depending on who we are. But it's always as part of a flow. I mean, if you picture that really classic yin and yang symbol, I mean, it's just become a pop culture doodle. But what that really is, is showing us the sense that there's always a bit of light in the darkness. There's always a little bit of dark in the light. And that's always also showing us there's always a little bit of the feminine and the masculine, the masculine and the feminine. That's the yin, that's the feminine, the yang, that's the masculine. And I've always looked at that and thought balance yeah. Humanity used to revere the feminine through their artifacts and, and through their practices because they allied, they, because they saw the connection between Mother Earth and the divine feminine. And as civilizations came and religions were based on, on books and culture evolved, we grew away from that connection to the earth and allied ourselves 
with a more masculine God, with the patriarchal God. Yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking though of like the water protectors, right? I can't help but think how they are invoking the divine feminine, how they are protecting and holding and challenging this idea of this more masculine energy. Well, right there, the whole idea of water, that is one of the most feminine symbols, feminine elements, because think Other about than the moon. Well, the moon is not the moon is a symbol. Yes. Um, but the moon and, the, and water are close, so closely aligned. Think of the way that the tides respond to the moon. Right. Those are really kind of on the same end of the spectrum. Um, you know, fire and sun are associated with the masculine and we associate the moon and the water with the feminine. Mm-hmm. And so those water protectors are, are directly related to the blood of mother earth and, and protecting her. That's her life force. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that we're talking about water and blood. And I'm thinking about, you know, um, just the, the cycles of the moon and how, the moon influences the waters and the tides on this planet, but also it influences the the way women bleed. Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that the female body itself is a direct reflection of what's going on in the universe is sort of staggering. If you pause for a moment and just see... 28 days, why is it that we're connected to some great big rock in the sky? (laughs) Well, I don't necessarily have the answer for that in perhaps a logical way. But what I can say about that is to say, it's something mystical. (laughs) Yeah, it's something mystical. And people have been noticing that connection from the very beginning in ways that is no longer accessible to us because we have electric lights on right now. Right. You know, I'm also thinking not just of the 28-day cycles, the moon cycle and the the female um, menstrual cycle, but I'm also thinking of our body's constitution and the earth's constitution. Both are about 80% water. Exactly. Yeah. When you start to just look at all these different parallels, this feels like more than coincidence. This feels like it's part of something I need to pay attention to and tune into because it gives meaning that I might not have necessarily been able to find. It makes me understand why I'm put on this particular planet. I'm made up of the same stuff that it is. And to me, I take great comfort in that somehow. I think when we, especially we get lost in our heads in our overly digital worlds and overly planned worlds where nothing really seems rooted or grounded. Remember, your body itself, male or female, is a reflection of the earth you walk upon. Mm. You know, I love that. You were you were talking a minute ago about pausing and noticing. And in my work as a relationship therapist, so much of what I do is help people see these kind of meaningful, mystical pieces of their own lives. And dive back in to who they are and and all these pieces of themselves. And while you were just talking, some of the stuff I heard you saying sounds so much like the stuff that I talk about with my clients. I heard you talking about pausing and noticing. It's almost as if 
that's part of the pathway. That's part of the practice of being seen. You know, I think it's so important to recognize that whether your way of finding meaning in the li- in life is by saying, I recognize that the divine feminine has a specific resonance for me, or, you know, you, it, whatever element of your spiritual path guides you through, all of these practices, spiritual practices, consciousness practices are tools. practices. Exactly. But they're all tools that enable us to see ourselves in order to better see the world. Because for me, you know, though I don't necessarily believe that divine source has a gender, the reason why the divine feminine has a particular importance to me is that I know as a human being, I need something to hold on to that feels accessible. You know, we anthropomorphize our gods in order to understand them. We need to put faces on them. Perhaps we need to give them breasts and wombs and bellies and see them as beings that give birth. Because certainly I'll tell you in in the middle of giving birth in my house, did I call out to the goddess and just (laughs) need to imagine that she had been through something a lot like this? I certainly did. You know, you're, you're bringing me somewhere else and I wonder if I can bring you there with me. I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this, this power, right? And the embracing of this and how it holds you and it gives you some meaning and it, it makes you feel safer in darker times like in the middle of giving birth. And I'm also thinking of, you know, all of us, we are all born at some point and we all die at some point. And so there's light in the middle, but the rest of our time is in dark, right? Where we come from dark, we we leave to dark. And so as we're talking about this dance between the masculine and the feminine, I'm also hearing this dance between the light and the shadow. Yes, yes. You know, when we start to get into talking about these two different sides, there's there's a whole host of of symbols. You could, if you really wanted to, you could draw a line down the center of the page and list out the symbols that that are related to each. We just we t- talked before about the sun and fire being the masculine, and the moon and the water being the feminine. And most importantly, in there is that concept of the light and the shadow. And you know, we were talking earlier about why was it that the the feminine was erased from so many of our contemporary religions. And I think a lot of that is a fear and distrust of the shadow and not wanting to go there, not being able to understand it, not being able to control it. Oh, talk more about that. Yeah, because contained within this idea of the divine feminine is the wild feminine. And that would be that which cannot be controlled or fully understood by society. Mm. And I think when we can tap into that and recognize as women, as men, anyone, that there's an unbridled part of you that, you know, imagine an untended garden. It goes wild when it rains enough and is sunny enough. That's oftentimes nature's default. And that's within all of us too. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a way of 
embracing the best of that and understanding the immense creative potential that can be within that sense of wildness. And also just think of a wolf baying at the moon. There's an urge in humanity sometimes just to go out and bay at the moon and connect to something really primal. The feminine allows that. On the flip side of that, there's this urge to control. Yes. Right? So, and it's to control that which we do not know. It's to control the unknown and the shadow. I mean, I'm thinking now of um, like witch trials throughout history. Yeah. I'm, you know, what is it that we try to control? We try to control that which might subvert the organizing society. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about those in power, they want to stay in power and they need structure in order to keep it that way. And this is not to say, oh, fling structure out the window. Who needs it? I'm going to embrace my feminine side and just, you know, go run naked in the woods. Instead, it's an invitation to draw in some of that wildness, some of that unkemptness, because you know that line, well-behaved women rarely make history. There's I'm truth sure in I do. It's a bumper sticker. (laughs) I'm sure that a preeminent foremother has said it. I cannot tell you exactly who, but well-behaved women rarely make history. Is a really interesting. And to me, that puts a whole new spin on this whole like nasty woman piece of our recent political campaigns. Yeah. Well, think about how much of our recent politics, there was a certain video that was about essentially putting a woman in her place. And think about the firestorm that took place around that. And the wild reactions, the social media memes that had all sorts of not suitable for work language about kitties. That was a chance for the wild feminine to rise up and frankly, show that she was really pissed off and some <laughs> full, full of some righteous rage. Because that's the thing we need to think about here. The divine feminine is not always Aphrodite and the Virgin Mary. Sometimes it's Kali. It's, it's a goddess that might be aligned with destruction. We need that too. Because contained within the goddess is birth it's motherhood and it's death. The the Celtic tradition gives us the triple goddess. And this concept of threes is certainly in, in other parts of religion as well. But contained within this is the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And that gives us a blueprint for our lives in so many ways. And it allows transition from one stage of life to another. It that, identifies the, the passages. Yes. And what do we have for that now? You know, a college diploma and social security? Like, it's not nearly as, um, I think, visceral as we're living in a pluralistic society that has left many rituals behind. Those have probably been forgotten. Mm. Um, and so... 
we're no longer spending hours and hours by our grandmother's side learning how to bake biscuits in a mud fire, you know, a mud oven. We're missing out on that chance to pull in that sort of information because we're reading books and off with our friends and driving cars and doing all those things that have pulled us away from what it would have been millennia of human tradition and mm. rites of passage that were really necessary to mark time. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of so many different things right now, but I'm wondering if we can start diving a little bit, a little bit deeper into how one can start to reclaim this experience of embracing their own divine feminine. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this one phrase has always stuck with me. You just got to make sure you're not trying to find the divine feminine in a masculine way. <laughs> and in that way, it's an understanding of, I love that word reclaiming. Um, it's been a very important word in the goddess tradition in the 20th century in particular. But that idea of reclaiming, I'd ask you to use it in a gentle way, in a way. What about if we change it to remembering? No, no, no. I, no? I, I love the word reclaiming, okay. but it, it, it's, 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 it's give, let's give that word a flavor. Let's see that word as a receptive concept of becoming the cauldron, which is another, or the cup or the, the chalice are all really important symbols of the feminine because of course, it reflects the womb, right? And there's that idea of holding and being filled up, not necessarily grasping to be filled, but allowing yourself to be filled. So to double back on thinking about the idea of noticing, it's as much to to reclaim, to remember the divine feminine in your, in your life, start to notice the moon. You're not going to chase after the moon and get in a rocket ship and go there. That's not going to help. <laughs> but Papa, will you get the moon for me? Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, we are recording this on the January full moon. And tonight, um, you know, we, we, we've all heard the stories about lunacy and being moonstruck and the fact that, you know, you hear it. Emergency rooms are busier on full moon nights, but at our house, so our psychotherapy offices. Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, tonight we had um, we had a seven year old who had a pretty big attack of the moons, and um, she was very upset and just couldn't find the grounding. So we tried to get her to sleep for forty five minutes. I pulled her out of bed when I realized. <gasps> The mist, it's been, the snow's been melting here all day. So the mists were strong and thick all day. The clouds had burned off and the moon was there. So I pulled her to the window and we said some Hail Marys because I, I know she knows that by heart and she could kind of fall in with the cadence of that. And then we made up prayers for the moon and we repeated them over and over. And in that process of chanting, of incantation, we fell into a different rhythm and her tears subsided into just hearing mama and watching the moon cross the sky. And in its way, it really grounded her. So better than any other way I, I could have said with words, if we had stayed in the dark with the curtains drawn, 
I brought my daughter to the moon to be filled up by her. And in my way, knowing that she was being fueled by the divine feminine. And I can't help but think as I hear you talk about this night ritual that you and your daughter shared tonight. I also can't help think, but you reminded her that it's nighttime. Yeah. You reminded her of the rhythm that this isn't the time to rage. This is the time to sleep. Yes. Yes. I mean, so much of the work we do with the divine feminine is simply to reconnect to something larger than ourselves, Mm -hmm. to a truth that rings in the soul and that resonates in the body. Because we, yeah, we know these things in our bones and that again, if you're looking to somehow make the goddess part of your life or see the divine feminine in your daily existence, first remember, as you were using that word before, this is in your body and it's in your cellular memory of these ancestors that came thousands of years before. Hmm. Marisa, I know I'm constantly on a quest to dive back in and remember all these different parts of my own divine feminine. I'm curious though, could you guide us a little bit through your own story of how, how you've rediscovered these parts of yourself? I'd love to. It's not a story I get to tell all that often. Um, And it started when I was 16 and probably before that. But, and it's interesting to think about rediscovering something when you're 16 years old. But I had, as I said, I think I mentioned I was raised a Catholic kid. We'd go to mass every Sunday and I would sit there and I was heartbroken. I would use this phrase all the time. I have the spirituality of a rock. And I didn't mean that in the sense of like, I am communing with the great mother earth and see myself reflected in her beautiful stones. Like, no, I really thought there was something wrong with me and that everyone else in that church seemed to get it and have grace just flowing on them. And I was just thinking this, this is really just disappointing. (laughs) And, um, I did what you, what kids do in in the nineties when they were on a quest and that would be go to Barnes and Noble And there I discovered a book called The Mists of Avalon. And for those who don't know it, it's a novel written by Marion Zimmer Bradley. And it is a feminine retelling of the King Arthur story. You're going to have to go deeper. Okay, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the super Cliff Notes version is that King Arthur is a mythic, maybe true, maybe real king of Britain in the fifth century. And if you're somebody who has a thing for knights and wizards and perhaps a few dragons, these are the stories for you. But what these stories have besides epic battles and intrigue is that they have a place called Avalon and they have priestesses and the goddess has a role as surely as the masculine God has a role in the churches that have just recently sprung up around Britain. 
And when I encountered those stories, it was like coming home. Um, Can you share the stories with us? Because I think there's many of us, myself included, and probably many listeners who are unfamiliar with these stories. The best thing I think I can do is, is take you with me to Avalon. We don't need plot lines. We need place. So imagine you're in a field somewhere in England. You're walking through your field. It's an ordinary day. But then the earth beneath your feet starts to change. Your, you, your feet start to sink in. And what was once a field becomes a bog. And what was once a warm, sunny day is filled with mist. And soon you can barely see your arms reached out in front of you. And you start to hear a sound. It, it's like a boat cutting through water. And you didn't even know there was a lake there. And you continue on until you see a blue-robed priestess stepping out of a little skiff. And she reaches her hand out for you. And she calls your name. And you know she wants you to go with her. And you've forgotten to be afraid. All you know is wonder. And all you know is you feel like you've been chosen. And so you climb into this boat with her. And it, you cannot figure out how she knows the way. Because as far as you know, there's nothing but thick white mist around you. But then it starts to brighten. What was white and gray becomes gold and silver. Until those mists fade and you see before you an orchard full of apples and a hill with a winding path that leads up to the top. And you don't know this place in anything other than stories you might have heard from your grandmother, whispered stories. But you know you're feeling something more powerful than you've ever experienced before. Because you found Avalon. You found the place where fairies seem to dwell. And you found magic, real magic. So that kind of had me hooked when I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty big transformation for a 16-year-old girl. Well, I mean, it took a while to graduate from, from delicious paperbacks to starting to say, the way I've lived my life has begun to shift and change because I see the world in a new way and I understand myself in a new way. Mm. Um, and that took, you know, meeting other like-minded women at the Catholic university I went to, um, and sitting together and, and honoring the moon and lighting candles and talking about our favorite goddesses and starting to feel like they were our friends and that they became so much more real than, um, you know, the guy at the church where all of our, the kids next door would be going to visit the next morning. 
And, um, you know, so sisterhood is so powerful in this sense of reclaiming because so much can happen when you're sitting alone, diving into a book or, or writing into your ideas, but it becomes real when you recognize I'm not the only one who has this yearning to connect to something that feels like it's both outside myself and deep, deep in the core of who I am. So there's something about this idea then of this, like a supportive circle of women that helps you reconnect. Absolutely. I mean, I think as we've been hinting at what we know or may know of what life was before our modern ways, I think what we know for sure is that no human has ever existed on their own and that rituals were, or, or say, you know, no, that human societies have always been organized around community and sharing everything from their faith to basic survival. And so it only makes sense that this path to the divine feminine is not a solitary one. It's one to create at a sisterhood. It's one that's held by a sisterhood, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I know that's one of the reasons why you have this retreat coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Marnie McKnight Favell and I are going to be holding a retreat together this March helping women reconnect to their inner goddess, helping them wake up their own wisdom that lies within. And I'm really excited for this. I'm excited for the deep transformations, for the opportunities to tune in, to dive into this feminine energy and to be held in this supportive circle of other women. Yeah. I think, you know, just as, as you and I started talking about this topic, there was, um, you know, so many stories of mine you didn't know. And I yeah. think that's because women tend to hold this very close to their chests. They cradle it and keep it secret. And some things deserve to come out of the shadows and dance mm-hmm. in the light with other like-souled friends, like-minded, like-hearted, like-souled. Yeah. I know for myself that my own dive into discovering more and remembering these parts of myself has a lot, has had a lot to do with also wanting to reclaim my intuition. You Mm -hmm. know, there are these parts of me that I see mirrored in my daughters. Um, Just this knowing that for whatever reason, throughout the course of my life, I've pushed aside and in favor of believing something that felt more appropriate, that Mm. feels more like something I should believe or I should do, as opposed to the things that I just know. And so it's been my journey of trying to reclaim those pieces, trying to stand more firmly in that truth, be more connected to myself, that's brought me into this place of seeking more information and creating more of a container to dive into the divine feminine. Yeah. I think it it couldn't come at a better time. 
I think we we need this collectively. We've been leaning toward this for some time. There's been, um, you know, a wonderful lead up to this. But now a lot of people are hearing the call and it's time. It what are we waiting for? Yeah. Waiting for ourselves. So we're going to hold this retreat in the middle of March, just as our seasons are about to shift as well, just as the earth is going to invite more growth again. As the goddess is waking up. Yeah. Feels divine. Ultimately, it's all divine. And when we can start to see that and start to breathe into that, we allow ourselves so much more freedom. And I think it's more than just ourselves because we create this freedom for ourselves for sure, but also for the larger collective. This is how we we make peace with the things that we're afraid of and we make peace with the world we live in. That sounds like a perfect note to say farewell. <laughs> it does. It really does. For more great content, check out practiceofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. We'll be including the link to the Waking Wisdom Within retreat in our show notes. Music written and performed by Christopher Farris and produced at Kidney Stone Studio.